You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Father Anne Tropeano, who was ordained in Albuquerque in October 2021 with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. Father Anne, welcome to our show. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. I am very grateful to be here. I love your show. I really appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you. Let's start with the obvious first question. How is it possible for a woman to be ordained as a Roman Catholic priest? Great question. So as you know, the Roman Catholic Church only ordains single celibate men. And um, in 2002, this movement, I should say, this movement has been uh, going on for about 50 years. That is the movement for full participation of women in the Catholic Church at every level of governance, and um, especially inclusion in holy orders. But it wasn't until 2002 that a bishop ordained seven women as priests on the Danube, and then a year later, the bishop ordained women as bishops, and those women have been ordaining women as priests since then. And so we have what's called the apostolic lineage. Um, So even though the ordination is considered to be illegal, it is still valid in, in the sense of apostolic succession. So there are 250 of us throughout the world. It's called the Roman Catholic Women Priest Movement. So what's how, how does one be illegal but valid? What, what is this succession? Yeah, so um, the, a sacrament cannot be illegal, I guess you could say. So it still holds the sacramental power of the ordination, which is what um, brings us into the priesthood. But because the doctrine, the actual, the canon law that governs the church makes it illegal, we are punished. So we still are priests, but we're excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. So we don't, our punishment is, um, you know, we are still technically Catholic, but we are not allowed to receive any sacraments. We can't work for the institutional church. We're not allowed to receive a Christian burial, uh, which is really heartbreaking to me personally. Um, so you you don't get any of the quote-unquote benefits of being part of the group. Um, it's a little bit more serious, you know, it's more serious than being put in time out, but that's, you can enter a Catholic church, but you are, you're, you're not really fully welcome, if that makes sense. It, it does make, well, it makes sense in terms of what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, this, this perhaps makes you the most controversial guest I've ever had on the show, or perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the most paradigm challenging guest I've had on the show. I, I'm, I'm hearing something very personal about not able to receive a Christian burial, not able to receive the sacrament, you said. Yeah, communion. The communion. What does that feel like for you? Uh, it's terrible. I mean, it's, my heart is 
is broken. It's it's a layer of emotions because I do this not out of rebellion, out of a great act of love for the church and frankly, deep obedience to God. God's calling me to be a, a priest reformer, to bring, to help join the movement, to bring the doctrine into gospel alignment. Um, so, you know, that involves this great sacrifice of being so rejected by this church that I deeply love. Um, and of course, I do experience a great deal of harassment and humiliation, public shaming. Uh, some of that can happen by the institutional church. A lot of it happens by the body of Christ, people that are just really traditional and disagree with what I have done. Um, so it is a steep price to pay in that sense. I mean, I also give up my career in the church. I have an MDiv. I, I can work as a pastoral minister or teach in, uh, in schools and I have to give all of that up because once I become ordained as a priest, I'm no longer able to represent the doctrine of the church because I have violated it, even though it is an unjust doctrine. So, you know, the level of heartbreak but on, is, is certainly significant, but then on a much deeper level, there is a great sense of consolation and confirmation because of my fidelity to God. And that really is um, the most important thing to me is to remain faithful to what God is asking of me. So you're not trying to be a troublemaker. You're not looking for rebellion. No. You're, you're coming at this from the perspective of someone who loves her faith deeply. But you said you called it an unjust doctrine. What does that mean to love a faith deeply, but to believe that it is unjust. Yeah, I guess um, for me, the, the core of the faith is so beautiful and, and resonates so deeply with me, this I idea of the Trinity and God's Holy Spirit incarnating all around us and animating all of creation. And, um, you know, the, so at the same time, this structure has grown up over 2,000 years to propagate that faith. And that structure uh, was certainly colonized by the Roman Empire, you know, 4th, 5th century. So that deeply changed it for better, for worse, you know. Um, and it became a feudal system that is still in effect, which is really hard, I think, for modern Westerners to really grapple with because Essentially, we have bishops who are overseeing these parcels of land with their priests underneath. I mean, it is a feudal system. So there are benefits to it, and there are a lot of drawbacks. So really engaging on different levels. I mean, I guess I would use the metaphor of being American. So uh, there are lots of problems with the United States, the way uh it governs, the way it interacts in the global community, our corporations and what they do globally. And yet I am so deeply American in my thinking and in my ways of being. So I think it's kind of similar in that way um, to have to hold the two realities. I mean, you just have to hold two realities. And um, the deeper reality is the love of God and the faith and how the faith 
helps me encounter God. That's, you know, it, it does. And I believe it is so powerful. And that's why, you know, I'm committed to this movement of reform because it does, it can do so much good while at the same time it can do so much and has done so much harm. When, when, I, when I hear you speak, obviously I'm a rabbi. I've, yes. I've been born and bred in the Jewish tradition. Yes. So, uh, so I don't carry the same uh, ears as Catholic listeners to this, sure. to this show. When a priest is sitting describing uh, the Catholic religion, the structure, I should say, the structure that has grown up around the Catholic religion as feudal, as having been taken over by the Roman Empire, when you're talking about the doctrine of the church being unjust, I could understand why some people may say, this is a troublemaker. This is someone <laughs> who, who is here to upset um, you know, turn over the, the, tables, the tables, right? I, I, get, I get the metaphor here. <laughs> but, but in a different way, what, you mentioned harassment from some people as well. I guess my question is, to those who are listening to this show, who are thinking, but she's not a priest, or, or but she's just here to cause trouble, what would you say to those people if you had an opportunity to just calmly if you yeah. heard their concerns as i'm sure you have many times what would you say to such individuals because i think they're coming from this from a very different perspective to me yeah i would say a couple things the first thing is that the catholic church does a really excellent job of presenting itself as if it doesn't change and the truth of the matter is, it has changed dramatically over two millennia. And the, ch the church has dramatically reversed teachings it's held in the past. Um, and, and some of those have been ecum ecumenism, for example. There has been no, the teaching was there is no truth in any other faith except for the Roman Catholic Church. That's no longer the teaching. Um, you know, slavery was endorsed by the Roman Catholic Church. So there are these huge reversals that have taken place. Uh, on a deeper level, I would say that the church needs to have humility. We are human beings, and we do not know everything. If we present ourselves as knowing all things, the whole truth, then we are presenting ourselves as God. And God can no longer bring us along this path of evolving our thinking and learning the deeper truths, peeling those truths back. You know, we're always, and the church is in conversation with the secular world, learning about, um, because the Holy Spirit is animating every aspect. So I would say that aspect, that having, practicing that humility is important to allow God to continue to teach us what gospel justice is. That will be, as long as human beings are walking the earth, we're going to continue to deepen that understanding. And then I guess the third thing that I would say is that women have been participants, equal participants in the early church, and all of that history has been suppressed by the church. So the current teaching hides the fact that women were priests and bishops 
and deacons in the early church, and that the church was great. It was um, very prophetic and radical to the, the cultures around it for that reason. But all of that has been suppressed. And so if you're not really aware of that, then it does appear that women for 2,000 years have never participated, and that's actually not the reality. And there is archaeological and historical evidence to um, show that reality. So I guess I would just ask people to be open and to really pray about this. To, you know, church doctrine is critically important in forming us as individuals and forming our conscience, but our conscience also has a role in helping us see the failures of doctrine and where it does need to be brought into alignment with gospel justice. So I guess the invitation to pray, to really learn, educate yourself, and pray about it. I think it's it's fascinating for you to to present this, to be saying, I'm not here to renovate reform, but to return yes. to form. That's an extraordinary message, to return to that which once was, but which was suppressed by men, by a Roman you yes. know, Hellenistic structure and so on. Let's get you're saying let's get back to where the church was as opposed to let's transform what is. I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah, I and ag- agreed. And um that actually is really important in the Catholic tradition in the sense that scripture and tradition are what play an instrumental an instrumental role in um, doctrine propagating the doctrine. So tradition has just as much weight. That's not always the case in other denominations. So um, being able to ground it in the tradition, uh, you know that it has been it has been done. We're going to need to take a break. Um, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich, my guest this evening, Father Antropiano, uh, ordained priest from October 2021 with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. We'll be back after this break. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Father Anne Tropiano, ordained priest, um, who was then excommunicated, as you mentioned in the first half of our show. I, I think the question that I want to go to next is, but why? Why does the Catholic Church prevent women from being priests? You mentioned in the first half the some of the influence but why is there that insistence on single celibate men? Um, from, from your understanding, why, why does the Catholic Church prevent women from being priests? The argument has changed over time, so I'll give you the current argument. Um, I'm actually really interested to hear your perspective on this, <laughs> actually, as a rabbi. So the Church now teaches that it is, it is not possible for the Catholic Church to ordain women because Jesus himself was male and he chose 12 men to be his apostles. And those men chose men. 
that is really the root. Now, over time, the um, arguments, I mean, there there's many. <laughs> One of them being, you know, for many centuries, it was the defectiveness of women's bodies. Um, you know, that was very common in the Middle Ages and medieval times that women's bodies are defective men's bodies. So they can't possibly be ordained um, but now it is that teaching. Jesus was male. Jesus chose 12 men. So it's a very fundamentalist interpretation of Scripture uh-huh. in the sense that uh, um, I could say a lot about this. So what I will say is that why is it the male aspect that right. is essential? If we were going to do exactly what Jesus did, we would have 12 priests and they would be Palestinian Jews, right. actually. That's, that was the thought that came to my mind, which is they were 12 uh, Middle Easterners. Yes. Or they were probably 12 men with beards. Yes, So is exactly. the insistence that every priest has to have a beard. Um, so that was interesting, my reaction, which is why not? They were 12 human beings. I mean, obviously, 2,000 years ago in, a, in an utterly patriarchal society— of course he would. Yes. Of course he would choose 12 men, and they would choose 12 men. But, but doesn't that then, doesn't that argument undermine itself? Because they chose men, and they chose men for thousands of years, and then eventually someone chose a woman. That's it, isn't it? So, yes. And I would say, in addition to that, um, to the focus on the essentialism of being male as the only factor, not ethnicity and, or what they did for a living. None of that is essential, just the maleness. But at the same time, if you look more broadly at what Jesus did, he was very radical in the ways that he interacted with women, breaking all kinds of you know, laws and that has received no visibility in terms of this teaching. And of course, the fact that Mary Magdalene was actually the first to see him, and she was the apostle to the apostles and was sent. Um, the roles in scripture of, of other women like Junia and Prisca, who had roles leading in the early church, all of that is made invisible, by the Roman Catholic Church in terms of this doctrine. So whatever, the, the bottom line is, though, what I will say is, we really don't know why Jesus chose 12 men. I mean, in my, was it the, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel or whatever the reason? But whatever reason he had was certainly not to reinforce injustice. That would go mm. against everything that he taught, what his whole life was about. And for the church to actually blame Jesus, I mean, that's, oh, that's the language. The church blames Jesus because Jesus chose men. The church is not authorized to choose women. So it's really, it's incredibly scandalous if you, if you think about the blaming of Jesus for this great injustice that's going on. That's a, a, an extraordinary way to look at it because when you're sharing that in the Middle Ages, it's, the focus was on the defectiveness of women's bodies. And, and I understand that perspective from, a, for example, Talmud in, in Judaism, even before the, the Middle Ages, talking about women not being able to be 
um, witnesses because right. they're not reliable and so on. And right. and myself as a reformed Jew, I say that was a sign of the times. That was exactly. that was what they thought back then. But that was an essential argument about women. Whereas what you're what you're describing to me is a transition from it's the women's fault that they can't be chosen as priests to almost we would do it. Exactly. We would do it, but we can't because our hands are tied. Exactly. Exactly. Which seems to me, for, again, from an external perspective, seems to me to ensure that that never happens because you... If you have the debate that says women are not reliable or are defective or whatever, and then you can show evidence to say that's not clearly not the case anymore. Um, so therefore, there is an argument for this. Now, by shifting to this idea of but the original choice was only men, therefore that's setting precedent for all time, means an end to this discussion entirely? Yes, I mean... Um... Pope John Paul II closed the door on this issue, and unfortunately, Pope Francis has not opened it. And really, um, all I'm asking at this particular point, I'm, I'm well aware that Pope Francis cannot just change the teaching. This has to be done by the College of Bishops. I want him to lift the ban on speaking about it. Mm. Because right now, uh, though Pope Francis... Pope Francis is not much of a punisher, so to say. Uh, a priest or a bishop who endorses verbally, publicly, uh, the idea, just the idea that women should be ordained, not an actual ordain, but just the idea, they can lose their faculties and be laicized. They can, they can lose their jobs, be, no longer be a priest, just for talking about it. So I want that ban to be lift because um, lifted that is a sure sign to me of the dark spirit. In terms of Ignatian spirituality, Jesuit spirituality, the dark spirit does not want things to be brought into the light. And the way that the Holy Spirit helps us to evolve uh, in our understanding of truth and those deep layers is through dialogue with one another. How, how are we going to learn if we're not allowed to speak? And it also, frankly, it's, it's sort of a throwback to you know, the, how the church has operated for so many centuries, which is the clergy has the answer mm -hmm. and the lay people are the children. Mm -hmm. And that is shifting some, you know, I think because people are voting with their feet, you know, the sexual abuse, um, this idea that the clergy knows best, you know, clericalism, um, so, so many reasons why people have left. But one of them is that don't treat us like children. The Holy Spirit is in us. We have a share of the Holy Spirit. And what we have to offer is necessary for the church to discern its path forward, the path of truth. So um, I, I'm challenging Pope Francis to lift that ban so we can openly have this discussion. It's extraordinary to me to, to learn this. Judaism, the essence of Judaism is in the question not necessarily the answer. Yes. And we tend to answer questions with more questions. Um, and, um, and, and I know sometimes that frustrates people. They say, well, what's the answer? I say, who cares what the answer <laughs> right. is? That was a really good question. Yes. Um, so I'm challenged personally by hearing the idea that certain things cannot even be discussed for fear of losing one's job. And I guess that leads me to, and I'm aware we've only got uh, a few minutes left, 
It leads me to a question about the directionality of the church. Um, in the sense of, it seems to me from what you're saying that the church, and from other experiences, that the church is quite a top-down institution. That almost you have God, the Pope, the bishops, and then it, it goes down in almost layers of sanctity, awareness of God, and, and therefore authority. And it sounds like what you're saying is is challenging that structure, that top-down structure, by saying, but the people actually want to discuss. The people want an informed debate. The people want to... You're, you're coming bottom-up. Is it possible for a bottom-up approach to work in a top-down institution? Uh, a couple a couple things about that. One is that the Va the Second Vatican Council, which happened in the 60s, really tried to implement more of that structural change um, to open things up from just the hierarchy to include the voices and discernment of others. But then that council needs to be implemented. Right. And it, it really got rolled back with the pontificate of John Paul II, for better, for worse, you know. Um, so Pope Francis is trying, and he's, he does experience a lot of resistance because of the way that the church has been operating for so many centuries. He, he, in fact, he's launched a synod, which is a listening process for the worldwide church, for all of the bishops, to hear from all of their constituents in their, um, their diocese. So he... Okay, so he is trying to, uh, because he believes that the Holy Spirit is animating the entire church and that we need to hear from everybody to discern the way forward. However, the bishops and the popes still do possess that position of discernment because they are in the positions of authority. So the idea is they unearth this and they take it into their prayer and they together make changes based on that. So, I mean, it's kind of like a democratic republic in that way. Right. <laughs> you know, there's not like a one vote translating. But, it, but see, the thing is, you know, it is about discernment. And that's why the church is so slow to move because it's really trying to, it doesn't knee jerk. It's really trying to discern what is actually from God. So, um, so I would say, you know, it's going to take a lot of time. We have, we have one minute left. And okay. the question I really want to ask, though, okay. it sounds like there's a lot of fear. From an external observer, it sounds like there's a lot of fear, fear of change, fear of hearing, fear of discussing, debating. In 30 seconds a minute, how would you address the fear of what you're bringing? That's a great question. I agree there's a lot of fear. I just... Um, Fear comes from the dark spirit. The only real answer is prayer and humility, the humility to be taught and to trust that change is going to be good, you know, that God is going to lead us to something that brings us closer to God. And that's what we trust. I'm, I'm, I found this extraordinary, fascinating. Thank you for coming here and sharing your thoughts. I really do hope that you'll be able to come back to our show and share more and maybe engage in dialogue with others as well in the same show. I, I really appreciated I, you coming. Today. I appreciate you, Rabbi Neil, creating the space. I, I'm saying, you know, I'm censored by the Catholic media. So any space that allows me to talk about what's going on, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you.
Well, thank you, Father Antropiano, for coming onto our show. I genuinely hope that you'll come back. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.